0: Industrial Light and Magic, LucasArts, Skywalker Sound, LucasFilm Animation. This is Looking at LucasFilm with Jim Hill and Dan Z. Welcome to Looking at LucasFilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, and the rest of the team at LucasFilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm Jim Hill. I know this show is normally a duo. It's myself and Dan Zahir. But this time around, it's solo, folks. And kind of a dual meaning to that because Dan got to do this extremely cool thing by himself. I stayed home in New Hampshire. Dan went to Hollywood. Dan walked the red carpet. Why am I telling you stories? Dan, come in. Talk about this really cool thing that you got to do.
1: Yes, well, thank you. What I got to do is I got the invite... About two weeks before the actual premiere that I was going to be a guest at Disney and Lucasfilm to go on the red carpet for the world premiere of Solo and attend the after party with the cast and crew.
0: Now just to interrupt here quick, okay? Sure. I want to stress you said the magic word guest. As a member of the press, you literally are in the equivalent of a veal pen. You are not on the red carpet. You are at the edge of the red carpet, usually behind some sort of barrier and waiting for PR folks to bring performers down the line to talk to you for two minutes, three minutes, sometimes just 30 seconds. So being a guest and on the red carpet, very, very, very different experience. Very, very cool.
1: Oh, extremely cool because you basically have a little bit of free reign. Now, of course, there are still people that want you to go a certain direction and what have you and keep the line moving, so to speak. But yeah, I was able to sort of float wherever I want to. I wasn't confined to a single area on the press side, but I was able to have the press title. So I kind of had the best of both worlds.
0: You got to live the dream, Dan. A lot of people have always wanted to go to a Hollywood premiere. I want to back up a little bit. Just where you went to go pick up your credentials, that was Hollywood and Highland. That's right. For those of us who were lucky enough to see the pictures you were tweeting out, when you picked up the credential, it was a certain vehicle in the background.
1: So this is the thing about that. The Millennium Falcon, as we know, I've seen Star Wars. Uh, I saw Star Wars when I was five years old. I'm 45 now. Mm -hmm. And I've always been enraptured by the Falcon. I absolutely love it. And conversely, I've always wanted to be invited to these premieres. And I guess in a perfect world, if I had to pick one for my first one, it would be this one because of the Falcon, which was being built on Hollywood Boulevard right in front of the El Capitan Theater and the Dolby Theater because that's how big it is, right? Mm -hmm. Now, it wasn't a scale. I asked somebody who's very high up at Lucasfilm and they said they weren't sure what the scale was and they were a little surprised at how small it was when they were underneath it. Mm -hmm. But it's still a sight to behold. So when I checked into the front desk... I had a Star Wars backpack and I had a Lucasfilm ball cap on. And the gentleman who I gave my Yoda credit card to said, I'm going to guess I know why you're here. And we laughed. (laughs) And he said, let me show you something. So he pulls out his cell phone, his personal cell phone, and he shows a picture of the Falcon on Hollywood Boulevard. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I've got to run and do it right now. Mm -hmm. So my son was going on 30 minutes of sleep. So he Mm -hmm. said, I'm going to go to the hotel and I'm going to rest. I said, that's fine. And we were staying in the hotel where this was anyway. We're staying at the Lowe's. And that's actually where I stayed when I did the Target Row One commercial a couple years ago. So I was very familiar with the area. Mm-hmm. So I ran up to the second level like uh, you and I had talked about. And there were only probably about eight people surrounding kind of the balcony area. And there was the Falcon and all its splendor being built. And you could hear the construction going on. And it was still a little early in the morning. It was around 9 45 or so, California time. So there weren't a ton of people there. And then I went up to the third level as you suggested. And I loathe heights. I mean, hate them. Mm -hmm. So I I peeked over and it was all I could do to peek over there. And I held up my phone and I took a picture, even though I wasn't looking at what I was taking a picture of. And then I ran back to the second floor again because that was just a little much. But I got great pictures. Then I went down to the floor and got to go right underneath basically the nose of the cockpit. And then people were coming up and asking me questions about it. They thought I knew something because I had a Lucasfilm hat on. I said, no, I'm just a really excited fan that's here to sort of take this all in. So that was sort of how the setup was. But then when I went to check in, you walk around the corner, and usually they'll have like a thing that says A to F here, G to whatever here. But mm. they had every single letter of the alphabet lined up, and you had to go. And I went to Z because there is, mm. you know, it is always going to be last in anybody's list because it starts with the letter Z. Mm. So they grabbed me my credentials, and boom, we're on the right carpet.
0: Wow. And your day started early. You caught a 4 o'clock in the morning flight, am I correct?
1: I got up about 4 and the plane left at 6 Mm a.m. So we got to the airport a little before 5 o'clock.
0: Okay, and so you land at LAX and you get to the hotel, so you're there by 9.30. So were you able to rest at all before the premiere? Yeah. The premiere didn't get started until, what, 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon?
1: Check-in was at 5 o'clock, so between about 11 o'clock and 5, I had time, so... I was able to go up and sort of sit by the pool, take a little bit of a nap and get myself charged up and for about thirty six hours I had so much adrenaline that I mean, I was able to sleep as soon as it was time, but I was so fired up for this. I've been I've been waiting my entire life to live this dream. So I was nothing was gonna stand in the way.
0: And I love that you were this enthusiastic about it and this got to be the film that you got to have this experience on. But so you get on the red carpet and so you begin strolling and then there was a certain bearded gentleman who appeared. And you got to talk about that. Oh, my goodness.
1: My absolute pleasure to do so. So we it just made it down one stretch because you wind around and then you're in this huge covered area because it's base, it's the street. But it's covered up, so you really can't tell. But the red carpet is everywhere. And different people are walking by. I saw Paul Bettany on the other side talking to people. I saw Peter Mayhew, the original Chewbacca, come by. And then I turn around, and I saw a gentleman walking towards me with silver hair. Unmistakable, wavy, curly silver hair. and, And I thought... I said out loud, actually, to my son, there's George Lucas, there's George Lucas, and he said, I know, I know. Be cool,
0: Dad, be cool.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly, and it turns out I was as cool as the other side of the pillow. He was walking towards me, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to ask him for a photo. Mm -hmm. So I walk over, and there's really no one between George and I, except for that small little bicycle rail thing, Mm -hmm. Yep. so I said to him, hello, George, thank you so much for everything. And I and I reached out and I put my hand on his back and I patted him on the back like we're old buddies. Mm-hmm. And I said, may I grab a photo with you? And he smiled and he looked me up and he looked me down and he said, I think they want me to keep moving. I said, mm-hmm. okay, thank you. And that was it. He could have said to me, you're ugly and your mother dresses you funny. I would have been equally as happy because I got to talk to George Lucas and pat him on the back and tell him thank you. That was, I never thought that would happen in my entire life.
0: Oh, that's cool. But as... The Disney dweeb that I am, as cool as that is, getting to talk with George Lucas, there was a a certain CEO who you also caught on the red carpet.
1: Yeah, literally after that happened, I I was feeling very, very happy, very much in a good place. And I look up, and there's Bob Iger. And I thought, well, I'm on a roll. I'm like, butter, I might as well run up here and do this. So he had no one between myself and him either. So I walked up and I said, excuse me, Mr. Iger, Bob, how are you? And he turns and he looks at me, and he shakes my hand, and he said... How are you? And I said, great. Thank you so much for what you've done with this company, with Marvel, and especially with Star Wars. You're really taking it to amazing heights. And he smiled very sincerely and said, thank you so much. And I said, my name is Dan Zara. I have a podcast called Coffee with Kenobi. I show him a picture of the logo. It's on my phone case. Mm-hmm. And he smiled and he said, oh, that sounds great. And then I got a picture with him and he thanked me and then he was on his way.
0: Uh, I love <laughs> that you're on the red carpet, and again, and you don't start small. <laughs> you know,
1: That's you know, right. Go to the top. Hey, you go big or go home, right? It's, this is the kind of moments you have to seize because no one will give you these moments. You have to go out and take them when you get a, the chance to.
0: The cast is actually was over at Cannes earlier this week. You know, they're pr- promoting the, the international release of Solo, but this is all about promotion. So, as you mentioned, on the other side of sort of the bicycle rail. There, the celebrities are being marched down and they're interacting with the press. And among the folks who were at the premiere, because of course they're in the film, is John Favreau. In the process, John actually breaks some news. To be fair, it was the Nerdist, uh, Dan Casey, at the Nerdist, who was talking with John uh, while he was on the red carpet. And John talked about this live-action Star Wars series that's going to debut on the Disney streaming service uh, next year. And what was intriguing was where they decided to set this thing. Let me quote for what Casey uh, tweeted out that night. John Favreau confirms that the live action Star Wars series takes place seven years after the Battle of Endor between Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens and will feature all new characters, but will use also cutting edge tech like the Jungle Cruise. And I'm enough of a Star Wars nerd in my heart of hearts that when I read Battle of Endor, I didn't think Return of Jedi. I actually thought about the second Ewok movie. Oh dear! You're, so you're the one, you being the knower of all things Star Wars. I have to ask: Where exactly do the two Ewok movies? what is it? The Caravan of Courage, I guess, is what it became named. Right. Uh, and then the Battle of Endor, the one for '84 and one for '85. And are those canon?
1: They're not canon. Okay, no, so they're, they're.
0: But are they like? not canon like the star wars holiday special or how do people <laughs> feel about those
1: well lucasfilm will actually will admit to the the ewok films but the, the holiday special there's you won't be able to find that anywhere unless it's a, a bootleg copy mm-hmm. but the ewok movies are out there i mean they're not out there for ready distribution but i'm sure the Wil, the wilford brimley people will be disappointed to hear that but <laughs> yeah i've seen them once i saw them when they aired originally and and that was it they're sort of like a novelty in fact, there is a creature in one of these films. And I need to look up the name again and remind myself that is featured in one of the Ewok films. And he was on a recent episode of Forces of Destiny where he was going up against a recently defeat Darth Vader and the Emperor Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia on Endor. Oh, okay. So they brought him into canon, which was pretty neat.
0: I took a closer look at the Ewok specials and it turns out that they're actually set before Jedi they're kind of slippy slidey into how early mm. before Jedi I mean in fact all they'll say about locking down times on these things is I guess Battle of Endor the second film is set six months after Caravan of Courage but it's kind of the, oh, same, that's right. the same thing with the Ewok animated series it's just sort of like it happened before Jedi
1: and narrated by Burl Ives
0: well yeah I mean it's, how I great is that I just, for me, what's fascinating, especially now that, you know, here we are, the first live-action series with Favreau prepping it for next year, and here was really George's first foray into television if we overlook the Christmas special, and in fact, to be honest... One of the reasons that George was so hands-on with Ewok, he flat out said, it's like, look, the last time we did television, we let people do it. It's a disaster. And so he was very, very, very hands-on. And, you know, they actually shot up in the Redwoods in San Rafael. And Lucas is talking about, during this period, about he's finished Return of the Jedi, he's putting Star Wars to bed, and yet in the same window, we have... The two Ewok movies, we have the animated Ewok series, we have the droid series, and then we have the Star Tours ride film for Disneyland. So for something he was putting to bed, that kid kept getting up.
1: Well, the problem, of course, is that it didn't have any any of the actual, I mean, it had Warwick Davis, but that was it. It wasn't recognizable by people. And and that's a lot like how I feel about the Gotham television show, which may be wonderful, but how can you have Gotham without Batman, right? This is Star Wars without Luke, Han, and Leia. So I think that was one of the challenges. That monster, by the way, is called the Gorax, G-O-R-A-X. There we go. And it did make an appearance in Forces of Destiny, which was really kind of exciting, to be honest.
0: Enough about Ewoks. I just did. Well, I do want to
1: say real quick, that timeline, there was a mix at first. They said it was seven years after Jedi. That was actually not correct. What is actually true is it's seven years after the Battle of Yavin, which is where the battle where Luke blows up the Death Star. So technically, it's only three years after Jedi. So... Mm -hmm. The First Order is definitely not even a thing yet. It's very, very slowly coming together behind the scenes. I mean, it's definitely starting to happen. It happens very shortly after Return of the Jedi, of course. But it's very, very much a new burgeoning thing. So that that changes things a little bit.
0: But they announced that the new animated series is coming this fall, Star Wars Resistance. And to give you credit, when Disney registered that name, I was asking about it. And you were the first to point out, that's the new animated series, but I can't talk about it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but this is set in that time period between Jedi and Force Awakens, though my understanding is it set much closer to the time of Force Awakens. But you got to talk with Dave Filoni. So let's talk about that.
1: Well, that was an interesting thing. I, I don't know if this is really a spoiler or not, but it doesn't involve Solo. So if you don't want to hear anything at all, I mean, absolutely anything at all about Solo, then I would probably fast forward about two minutes or so. So I'll give you about two seconds. Okay. There is a scene where Paul Bettany's character is first introduced, and he appears to not appears to he stabs someone, and they hit the ground, and it establishes him as a very nasty villain with a major temper. And when the person he stabs falls down, the way he fell, and you can only see basically his chin to his nose, he had, he had very much had it more than a five o'clock shadow. And I thought, I think that's Dave Filoni. So I asked around a little bit at the actor party, and everyone was like, "I don't know, I don't know." And I saw Dave, and I thought, well, I'm just going to ask Dave. So I went up to him, I reintroduced myself, and I'm sure he didn't remember me because he's, he's met probably 10,000 people since we and I chatted at Rancho Obi-Wan a couple of years ago. But he said, no, 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 that definitely isn't me. I like these movies to be good, so I stay out of stuff like that. So <laughs> <laughs> when you see that scene, if, you, if it looks like Dave, it's actually not Dave, according to him.
0: Oh, well, I like that sort of humble attitude that I just yeah. stay on this side of the fence. I write the things. I create. That's right. <laughs> I'm not going to act, but. No, was that at the premiere or the press day? Which that was. Sunday, I was at the right? after
1: party right after we saw oh, the movie.
0: Okay, are you allowed to talk about the movie yet?
1: I am. We were allowed on the 15th to release our reviews, so I do have a spoiler-free review on CoffeeWithKenobi.com, where I talk about the okay. overall tone, feel. I don't talk about plot stuff or what happens with the characters, but I definitely talk about the actors. And the effect they had on these characters and how I felt about the film overall. So, yeah, I can definitely talk about it. And I will keep it as spoiler-free as possible because I completely respect that feeling. Since Coffee can always be spoiler-free anyway.
0: Was it as good as your experience in the red carpet? <laughs> it would be terrible for me that you, know, you have a wonderful red carpet experience and then a mediocre movie.
1: Raiders of the Lost Ark is my favorite film. I don't know if I... Well, actually, if I saw Raiders, word, I'd probably feel the same because it's Raiders. But mm-hmm. I don't know if anything could have lived up to that the first time you're on the red carpet. But the film is really fun. Mm-hmm. It's Everyone kept saying at the after a party, this is great. And I kept saying, I really, really like it. And they said, well, I really love it. I said, well, I really like it. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason is because this is the first Star Wars film that on a galactic scale, there's it has no ramifications. It's very much focused on Solo and his immediate environment and things that he has to do in his relationship with his first love Kira played by Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones fame of course and that's sort of where that wheelhouse is and I enjoyed it I think that Alden Ehrenreich the the biggest concern and I think you've noticed this as well Jim about this film is that people are so thrown that Han Solo is not being played by Harrison Ford they're having a hard time even accepting this or even going to think about buying a ticket well I can honestly tell you I absolutely love Harrison Ford. He's my very, very favorite actor of all time. I'm staring at a autographed picture of him as Indiana Jones right in front in my studio here at home. And he made me forget about Harrison Ford when I was watching the movie. I wow. mean that from the bottom of my heart. He is that good. He's that charismatic. He's that charming. He's got the right amount of swagger and just a hint of vulnerability. And he's very much trying to prove himself, but he's also not insecure. He's great. He's fantastic. And I think people will love him. And Donald Glover, to no one's surprise, could not be better as Lando. I mean, that is the ultimate casting right there, and he loved it. I mean, at the press conference, he said he auditioned for that role harder than he auditioned for anything in his life, and it shows.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's so cool. Now, for due diligence sake here, this really isn't the first time Lucas's film has done something like this. Now, if you think about this, the TV project, The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, Don't get me wrong, Harrison Ford, I think in one of the last one or two episodes, made a cameo, you know, playing He was
1: old Indy, yeah. He was old Indy and he had an eye patch. Mm -hmm. And he was in just for, I think he was in the middle of the series, perhaps, for like just a few
0: minutes. Well, yeah, and just to be clear here, they actually had three different versions of Indy. They had a 10-year-old Indy, I want to say yeah. they had a 16-year-old Indy, and then they had a 93-year-old Indy, and that's actually the Broadway actor, I'm blanking his name, but yeah, the the one with the eye patch and that sort of thing. Right. But Harrison Ford actually came into the series playing plain old middle age Indy on a, a special episode toward the end of the run of the show, but one of the criticisms of that show when it ran on ABC was that it's not Harrison Ford. A lot of people who watched that show, I, I think they they ended thirty nine episodes, and Lucas was very proud of what they did. The fact that it ran on ABC and didn't wasn't the rating bonanza everybody thought it would be. I mean, everyone was the production values are great, the writing's wonderful, but it's not Harrison Ford, and so it's kind of a credit to Ron Howard and the cast ends and you know the whole team behind Solo that. People were actually able to accept, um, and I'm blanking the name of the actor. Alden Ehrenreich. There we go. That they were eventually able to accept him in a role that for a lot of us, this is how we were introduced to Harrison Ford.
1: And think about the fact that for generations of moviegoers, he's going to be Han Solo. And when they see Harrison Ford, they're going to be like, who's that? That's amazing to me.
0: <laughs> that kind of wild. Now, speaking of which, you mentioned the press day. So yeah. where was this held?
1: I actually don't know if I'm supposed to say because they were very specific about no geo marks on your any of your social media stuff. I mean, I guess unless you have a DeLorean, you're not going to be able to go. But it was in Pasadena. Okay. And it started around one o'clock or so. Mm-hmm. And so when we arrived, I walk in and this is huge convention area. And all of a sudden to my right, I see Donald Glover walking out. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go get a picture with Donald Glover. Why not? Mm-hmm. And as soon as I thought that about Eight people appeared and surrounded them, and I thought, well, no, that's not going to happen right now. Mm -hmm. So you go into the huge press room, you've been in these things. This one, I I was told by people who were at Infinity War and stuff like that, this was the biggest one they'd ever seen as far as where they go. Marvel does a nice job, but Lucasfilm really takes it to another level. Mm -hmm. For instance, the Traveling Millennium Falcon exhibit Mm -hmm. that they took to four different places, it was two 40-foot containers of storage. It was there, all set up, with the cockpit. And what was unique about this is if you see that traveling exhibit and you see photos, people get their picture in the cockpit and they sit in the chair and they turn around and look at the camera and the front of the Falcon is to their backs, basically. Mm -hmm. So that's great. For this, they had it on another level. They had it set up and lit perfectly from the front so you could sit in the chair of the Falcon and Chewbacca was next to you. It wasn't Eunice, but this Chewbacca costume Mm -hmm looked like the film version of Chewbacca, even the way down to the eyes and the way they had it set up. It was it was spectacular. And I honestly think I was more nervous about that than meeting George because I wanted to sit in the Falcon cockpit with Chewbacca and get that photo because that's, that seemed like a once-in-a-lifetime deal to me.
0: Oh, that's so cool. And especially on the heels, have you seen this Disney World ad they're doing now, the Imagine Magic one that... Uh, setting the stage for Toy Story Land opening this summer at Walt Disney World but
1: no I haven't seen that
0: oh god at one point they cut to the Chewbacca meet and greet that they're doing at the lunch bay this outfit looks like it's made into Entirely out of used bath mats it is the worst looking <laughs> chewbacca <laughs> on the planet and it's like and they're using it to sell disney world vacations and it's like you paid four billion dollars for lucasfilm you're making all this movies you couldn't get a camera ready chewy it makes me that's crazy. a little
1: shocking to me that's shocking they yeah, had this one in the cockpit was phenomenal and get this at the end when you because you go in there mm-hmm. and they say okay i'm just going to start snapping pictures because you they take your phone and use your phone Mm-hmm. And they say, so do whatever you want to do. So I smile. I reach up like I'm going to move the controls for light speed. And Chewbacca raises his, his arm up and puts his paws on mine and moves the light speed thing too. <laughs> then I look at him and he puts his hands up. And then I pretend like I was scared. And then I pretend like I was laughing. And then he put his arm around me. And I probably got 25 pictures. And as soon as it was done,
0: yeah.
1: Chewbacca looks at me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he breaks character. And he says to me, not in Sriwuk, but in actual English, he says are you Dan Z from coffee with Kenobi? And I I said, I said, yes, I am. And he goes, I love your show. I never miss it. Keep up the great work. And I said, well, thank you so much, dude. And then I walked out and to make it even more incredible. The actual day of that press conference where I just got done talking to Ron Howard, which is another story. Mm -hmm. I, that was the actual day of the five year anniversary of coffee with Kenobi. So that was a great way to celebrate it.
0: Holy cow.
1: You can't write this stuff. Yeah, it's crazy.
0: Now, speaking of which, you got to talk with Ron Howard. And I, what was that about?
1: So the press conference was earlier in the day. Mm-hmm. And because there was so much going on, they encouraged people to go to the press conference and come back for all of the other festivities and the events. So that's what we did. Mm-hmm. I went in the second row. And just to make sure I could get a really good seat and get some good photos for Twitter and Instagram. They just kind of went down the line. It was it was hosted by Anthony Carboni, who's the co-host of the Star Wars show, the, mm-hmm. the YouTube show that StarWars.com does every week. It comes out on Wednesdays. So I kind of know Anthony a little bit. And then uh, it was about 40 minutes in or so, about 35 minutes in, and he says, we have time for one more question. So I I looked at him, and I raised my hand, and he, and he saw him, and he goes, all right, uh, the gentleman in the blue shirt. So I was very happy he called on me. And mm-hmm. I mind you, I've been to a lot of these things, but I've never been called on. And so this was a good time to kind of get my feet wet. So I asked the question, because I'm very much interested in literature since I'm a literature teacher and writing teacher. I said, in this continual world of moral ambiguity, what kind of challenges do you face when creating a character like Solo for this film? And I said, this question is for Ron, or the cast or even Alden. So Ron looks at me, we make eye contact, and he just starts talking for a while about it. And it's all on uh, YouTube, you can watch it and see it. And then... uh, Lawrence and his son Jonathan started talking but Jonathan really took it in a bunch of interesting places talking about ambiguity and good versus bad and and different classes and classisms. Then Donald Glover took over and he looked at me and he started talking about, that's one of the things he loved about this movie and about the character of Lando because there's very much rich and there's poor and there's a dichotomy there and, and it shows you the pros and cons of both sides of the coin so it really took it in a very interesting direction.
0: Very cool. Wow. Before we leave the subject of Ron Howard, Ron came through the door on the show in a, a very weird moment. Chris and Nintel, you know, had been shooting for five months, and Kathleen was concerned about what she saw, so shut that version of the film down.
1: And no one asked about that, by the way, in the press conference. Not a single thing was said about it.
0: To Listen to people talking about the movie now, that I guess 70% of the film that we see today was shot by Ron, they were able to salvage 30% of, of what Miller and Laura had done, and Ron felt that his job wasn't to make this dramatically different film. He read the script of the Kazans put together and said, like, this is a good, solid film. I'm happy to step in and I'll make this movie. But that whole don't create drama where there doesn't need to be drama that's something he learned on the set of the andy griffith show when that show debuted in october of 1960 again title character andy griffith played by you know, the performer andy griffith but what happens is that four or five episodes in who's the breakout character it's barney fife it's don Knotts, and the folks at the network were initially pretty concerned because suddenly it was Don who got all the recognition. In fact, you know, the first five years the show was on the air, Don was the one who took home the Emmy over the course of the show between return visits and that sort of thing. He won five Emmys for, for working on the Andy Griffith Show, which given that it was on the air only for eight seasons, that's pretty impressive. But a lesser star would have been threatened by the fact that, hey, the supporting character is suddenly pulling focus and he's getting all the attention and that sort of thing. And Griffith was like, I'm still getting the same check. It's like, yeah. Shows in my name. It's like, yeah. Okay, I'm fine with that. Just as long as we're high in the ratings. In fact, it was never lower than seventh in the ratings. So now, jump ahead. It's 1974, and they've decided to take an episode of Love American style and turn it into a series that's actually inspired by American graffiti. That this, you know, happy days, which and so that starts January of 74, and and it's kind of Barty Fife all over again? I mean, here's Ron Howard playing Richie Cunningham and supposed to be the lead of the show. And when well, it makes sense, because you know he was the star of American Graffiti, but what happens that, hey, who's that character in the background that Henry Winkler's playing? Fonzie, he's really impressive, he's fun. Let's move him to the front. And it was one of these things, again, a lesser actor would have genuinely be rattled by this. But because Ron Howard had been on the set of The Andy Griffith Show and saw how graciously that was handled, that the show stayed a powerhouse in the ratings, he said, look, you know, I saw how it was done. I saw how you handled this moment. And he did the exact thing. And, and Happy Days wound up running for 11 seasons. It was a rating smash, and in fact, It gave him sort of the financial cushion to go do what he wanted to do, which was, of course, direct. For me, it's always fascinating to watch how people apply the lessons that they've learned in life at other points in their life.
1: Not everyone always uh, climbs that ladder in Hollywood with the kind of grace and class that he's done anyway, quite honestly. I mean, he he went from Opie to Fonzie to Chewy, and he's done all of them at a very good level.
0: Well, there we go. Now, uh, b- before I forget, was this when you you got to talk with the Kazdans or w- was there a further conversation?
1: It was in that moment. That was uh, where we got to chat a little bit about the, the moral ambiguity and kind of what drives the character. Uh, Lawrence Kasdan, of course, who wrote Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and The Force Awakens, you know, those minor films that did oh, fir- yeah. fairly decently in, in uh, popular culture and financially. He was talking about The thing that has drawn him to this character all the time and to Star Wars all the time is he he liked the story. He was drawn to the characters and he liked Han Solo because Han Solo, he's not the traditional good guy. And he sort of kind of waffles at the notion of that. But that's the charm of him. He's a good guy. And even though he doesn't always see it that way. So he had some interesting things to say about that.
0: Have you ever seen Continental Divide, John Belushi, Blair Brown? Kazdan also wrote the screenplay for that. Oh, did
1: he really? Yeah. And and of course Silverado.
0: Oh, of course. And I love his bad guys who become good guys. He has that gift for crafting roguish characters almost in spite of yourself, you come to love and respect. So I love that Kathleen thought enough of his body of work and his, his, of course, association between the indie and the Star Wars films to bring him back in when Disney acquired Lucasfilm. So you finish up this event and you barely get home and Disney reached out again and has now invited you down for the next round of Galactic Nights. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, it takes place on the 27th of May and they're going to have... Uh... Some more insights, I guess, and some hopefully preview stuff into Galaxy's Edge.
0: Now, this is an after-hours hard-ticket event. As Dan mentioned, it's going to be on the 27th, held at Disney Hollywood Studios from 7 to midnight. Now, it's not inexpensive. The tickets for this thing start at $129 a person. But on the other hand, as you may recall from the show that we did about the Galactic Nights event that was held December 16th of last year yeah that was the one that had that absolutely killer panel but they've got a brand new panel happening at this event again Scott will be there he's the portfolio guy in charge at Imaginary who's in charge of the Star Wars franchise but this time around he's going to be on stage with Eric Baker He's the gentleman who's developing a lot of the stories and such for Star Tours. In fact, he had a big hand in Star Tours The Adventures continues, but he's Disney's physical venue guy. He's the guy who did Tortuga Tavern. He helped create the interactive queue for the Haunted Mansion. So he's the guy who's going to be peopling the back streets of Baku. Meanwhile, Margaret Carrison, she's the managing story editor at Imagineering, she's the one who's creating a lot of the storyline material, the stories of the individual vendors and the stores and everything else that will be happening inside of Galaxy's Edge. And, and then John George, I mean, you know, who's, you know, he's been an executive producer with Imagineering for 30 years and he's right in the middle of pulling this thing up out of the ground. And this is a guy who knows how to pull together. Impressive thing. I mean, New Fantasy Land at the Magic Kingdom that's John the fact that these four people are gonna be on stage and they're gonna be talking up the panel what's coming next for Galaxy's Edge I mean they're gonna be showing some great images from the construction and costumes and that sort of thing I mean this killer presentation but that's only one part of the evening I mean new projection shows and a lot of stuff that actually keys off of the fact that solo has just opened
1: right And those things, you've been to Galactic Nights. I went to the very first one in April of last year. And it's a phenomenal experience. And it certainly is not inexpensive. You're right on about that. Mm -hmm. But the nice thing is, because it's sort of a limited ticket event, you have free reign on anything. And people listening to this show are obviously theme park fans. This will put it in perspective for you. I never waited for Toy Story Midway Mania. I walked on every single time. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. And then the Hollywood and Vine and everywhere that you went to eat, the ABC Commissary, which typically is not the best place to eat, really. They had Star Wars-themed menu items and all these really neat places where you can take these unique photo opportunities. One is a a life-size scale of the trash compactor from the original Death Star. Oh, that's And really nice. there's just a lot of super fun stuff that you can do there. I mean, if you're a Star Wars fan and you like the theme parks, it's it's really gold. It really is.
0: Just earlier this month, they've been doing similar sort of events out in Anaheim. They had a one of their Disneyland After Dark events, and they had a Star Wars night. In fact, you'll appreciate this, Dan. They held it on May 3rd, so that people in the park... When it became midnight could actually may the fourth be with you i mean the very thing you were talking about whether it was the ice cavern at hoth where they could pretend to be captured by the wampa and hang from the ceiling or the trash compactor you know they had those photos opportunities set up but my good friend uh, drew taylor who i do the fine tuning podcast with he was there that night and said it's r2d2 how many chances have we had to have our pictures taken with R two D two or interact with R two D two over the past forty years, the line to get to get your picture taken with R two D two that was like Space Mountain in length. You know, just again, people had to do it, and so <laughs> just understand that that while the line for Toy Story Mania may be very short, plan accordingly if you if you're really looking to get in those special Star Wars moments, you make you will have to do, put in some time. Because
1: that's where the lines are, you know, they had those, those photo ops, and, and for the first one at least, I don't know what the second one was like, because I was actually doing an event here for The Last Jedi, so I wasn't able to make it, but they had, like, these on your badges, which are really collectible on their own right, they had mm-hmm. these stickers We had to go around and do, so, like, a scavenger hunt thing, and that was where a lot of people were going.
0: Okay, well, I, again, it will be intriguing to hear what you have to say about this next uh, Galactic Knights and what they share at that event, which hopefully we can get to with the next installments of looking at Lucasfilm.
1: That'd be great. And, and Eunice is going to be there as well. I did oh. talk to him at the after party too. I'm not sure if I if I sent you that picture or not, but he's over six ten, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm a generous five foot eight, so it was my wife really got a kick out of that picture. And by the way, he could not be more f- friendly. I asked him what it was like to know that he got to star with both Han Solo and Alden Ehrenreich in the Star Wars film and he said, he just smiled from ear to ear and he said, you know what, it's amazing, I can't believe it myself and he laughed and it was, it was cool, it was real quick but he he's the real deal.
0: Well again, I am just so happy you got to, and again, I guessed, not in the little field pen where they keep the press. But you know you got the free range and get to have all these wonderful times and just so thrilled for you that, that this happened and well thank you looking forward to hear what you'll have to say from Galactic Nights later the later this month so
1: I'm looking forward to that as well hopefully we'll get some uh, new images for Galactic Nights as well might have the secret fantasy that they're going to lead to as some sort of a a pre um, sample of the Falcon ride which I know that's not going to happen but boy wouldn't that be something
0: they were nice enough the last time around to share some pre-visualization of the ride so who knows but again you'll report back in a few weeks and that's when you'll catch the next show from us so on behalf of dan thanks for listening to looking at lucasfilm and we'll talk with you again soon okay thank you for listening to looking at lucasfilm with jim hill and dan z one of many great podcasts on the jim hill media network